I disappointed is is a word. Like I it I don't know if there's an enraged category, but this <laughs> this book would be that book. Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 71. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today's guest is an early member of the What Should I Read Next family. If you were a listener back at the very beginning of our show, you have Knox McCoy to thank for getting it into your ears. Knox was our behind-the-scenes producer for the first 11 episodes. You may also know him as the co-host of The Popcast with Knox and Jamie, a personal favorite podcast, and I know as many of yours as well. I could throw you some teasers about what we talked about in this episode, and it's all really good stuff, but what you really need to know is this. While we were chatting, I had to tamp down the fear of my recommendations to Knox getting red on a future episode of the podcast, and I dreamt about recommending a book that would get that coveted green light. If you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, we'll get to it starting now. Knox, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, well, I'm so excited to talk to you. Okay, I don't know if people actually know this, but you were the man making the magic happen on the first 11 episodes of What Should I Read Next? <laughs> I, that's what, you, you generously allowed me to help uh, the creation of this beautiful, beautiful show. Um, so I'm forever grateful for that opportunity. I think what you mean to say is you made it happen so I didn't have to figure out iTunes. <laughs> Which Not I at greatly all. Greatly appreciated. <laughs> so I feel like we're having a full circle moment here this morning with you actually being on. What is it like a restaurant? Is this front of the house now? Back of the house? I, I wonder. Is this like when on a super low level, like when someone who was on SNL comes back to host SNL? That's a great pop culture reference. <laughs> I don't know enough about SNL. See, this is out of my league, which is why you and Jamie do your thing. And I can stay to the world of media confined to the page. There you the go. See, there's always something really surreal about someone who is like helping the production of a show and they come back and they're on the stage and everyone's like, you shouldn't be here, but <laughs> you're only here because the host is really nice. And that would be you in this case. So, but seriously, it's so much fun to talk to another podcaster. And I know that a lot of people know you already or are about to know you because of the podcast you do with Jamie Golden, the <laughs> Popcast. That's right. Okay. Do you want to, you should probably tell that in your own words because I don't know enough about The Bachelor to be allowed to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you haven't heard or if you don't listen or you don't um, know who I am, I host the podcast with Knox and Jamie uh, with my partner, Jamie Golden. I think was Jamie your first guest she was, ever? She was guest number one. That's right. Patient zero here. So we're, we're now, now we're really coming full circle. But yeah, so Jamie and I, we, uh, we've known each other for several years and about three and a half years ago, we were like, Hey, we should, we should do a show, talk about pop culture. Cause we both really love it. So, uh, every Wednesday we just have like a, about an hour long conversation about, uh, different themes and topics and, and events in pop culture. And we try to have a lot of fun as we do it. 
your show is not all about the books. It's a lot about The Bachelor and celebrity marriages. And I feel like I get my, my Cliff Notes version of what is actually happening in the world that a lot of people care about. That's um, right. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, like we, we try, we go for uh, our, the thing we say is like we're delightful idiocy. So we go for the fun stuff. But, you know, at the end of our shows, we always do like a like a green light, like a, rec- a recommendation. And we we really take that seriously. And that's a spot where we try to talk a lot about books, Jamie in particular, because she reads so fast. But um, anytime I read a good book, I'm really looking forward to that segment so I can really talk about and recommend like why I liked XYZ book. I'm hoping we get to hear some green light books today. Well, I really love it when you talk about books too, because I know Jamie's a big reader and you, how do you describe yourself as a reader? Uh, Diligent, maybe like it's, it's really intimidating to like work with a speed reader because she knocks off like four books in a week. And I'm like, you know, and I've got three kids. So like sometimes I read two pages and I'm interrupted. So it's hard, <laughs> but like, but I love like reading. I've always, always loved reading. I grew up, I taught myself to read uh, with the baseball cards I collected as a kid. And I read everything like I could get my hands on. I remember I read a, ran out of books and my sister was reading the Babysitter Club books. And I was like, well, I guess I got to read the Babysitter Club books. So I like I blew through all those. I just love, love reading, even though I don't do it as fast as some other people. I feel like when you talk about books on the podcast, it's because you love it. Not just you happen to read 10 books last week and you're going to share the best one just because. Just because you didn't want to read those books for nothing and not talk about it on the podcast. (laughs) Jamie Golden. That's true. If I make it through a book, like I I tend to be evangelical about it. But I, I do have a thing like... I might, I need your wisdom on in terms of like, if I get too far into a book, I like, I have this issue, like I got to finish it, but I want to be okay with like, just putting a DNF on it and being like, I didn't finish it cause I didn't like it. And that's okay. Like I'm still a good human being. That is a very personal decision that is up to you. <laughs> However, John Irving did say, and he's an author who wrote 700 page books, so maybe he just didn't want to incur the wrath of his readers, that mm-hmm. as a grown up, you do not have to finish books you're not enjoying. Like, but do you feel the compul- like, do you, like you specifically, and do you feel like when you're reading something, especially for what you do, like you're, you're obligated to finish it just so you can supply a perspective on it? Nope. Well, okay. <laughs> the real answer is yes and no. So that's dangerous territory to feel like you need to read or for me, for me, that's dangerous to feel like I need to read it because I need to provide a perspective on it. Because mm-hmm. first of all, um, who am I that the world truly needs my perspective on that book? Come on. And also it sucks the fun out of it really, really quickly from a purely practical matter. I have a wonderful problem, which is I have too many books, not just ones that are already published, but ones that are going to be published in the future, which is super fun to get your hands on a book that you are dying to read that doesn't come out till July. Like mm. that could be a wonderful thing. However, nobody's vetted that yet, especially if you're getting like the galleys. There are not even advanced reviews from the sites talking about the books we can't wait to read six months from now or a year from mm-hmm. now or whatever. And nobody's read those. You don't have anything to go on except the publisher sales copy, which is designed to make you want to buy the book. And sometimes you don't even have that. And every once in a while, it doesn't even have a title yet. And the formatting's hard. So you have to keep telling yourself like, this is only like 85% of the normal reading experience. So it's give it some grace, push on through. And I mean, but you're, I, but you're very much at the cutting edge of like discovering if it's good or not. So really, so really, it's like an opportunity cost thing for you. Like you could be slogging through 
this like dog crunch of a book, or you could be discovering like what the next really great book's going to be. I love that you use the phrases opportunity cost and dog crunch. In this <laughs> did they not work together? I thought they did. Oh, I no, I thought they were perfect. They were perfect. <laughs> but yeah, you, you nailed it. Like it's all about if you slog through 300 pages of a book that you're like, yeah, I knew at page 20 or probably page two, this wasn't for me, then those are books you can't read. But that's hard because you don't always know. If it's going to either turn around or if you're going to be glad you read it, even if it wasn't something that you like loved and adored with all your heart and soul, you can still yeah. think it was worth your time. And that's tricky. So I also come back to a lot of books. I always, well, okay. I almost always tell myself when I put books <laughs> aside, maybe that it is a book I would enjoy, but it's not the book I need to be reading right now. Ah, this second. I got you. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, there, yeah. I read a book. Uh, it was like a target choice blah 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 editors pick it's called we're we're unprepared or we're not prepared and i hated it but i kind of <laughs> made myself finish it and i think part of it was like i want to see how terrible this ends but like but it really did do a number at the end of last year on me reading other books like because i hated reading it but i had to finish it so it took so long and i i regretted doing that because i thought i could have been reading like three or four other really great books that i put off right okay so do you ever quit books or do you always keep going? Cause if you do, I mean, there are a lot of people who say it is in their nature. They are finishers. The end. Don't even try to talk me out of it. I think I, I the weirdly, now that I'm really thinking about it, I think if I start a fiction book, I feel really compelled to finish it. But a nonfiction, I will bail on that. No problem. What's the last nonfiction you bailed on? Oh, that's a good question. I should have had an answer for, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say a Rob Bell book and not because like I didn't like what he was talking about or I don't like him I really am interested by him, but it just didn't cry. I think I go through nonfiction and fiction seasons. Yeah, there's something There's something like the the variance of a fiction book can grab you in a way that I just don't think a nonfiction book really can and if so if you get your hands on a really good fiction Man, it's hard to turn that away uh-huh. But on the other hand, I wouldn't want to read, I don't know, think of something big and serious. Brother, Brothers Karamazov. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I want to read that at the pool. First of all, yeah. it would take up all the space in my bag I need for my towels. It would. And if you have read that at a pool, can you let me or Anne know? I just want to know more about you <laughs> as a person. I want to know what that's like. If it's the right classic... <laughs> or business book. I'm not saying there's not like a big fat Russian novel I wouldn't read at the pool. Sure. I just can't think of one off the top of my head. I can't either. <laughs> the pool we go to is really loud and my children are probably there. Those are important qualifications. It's, it's not conducive to really digesting the, the literary themes probably. Exactly. Exactly. Knox, since you all do talk about books on the podcast, wait, hold on. Let's camp out there a minute. I just have to say for the listeners that some of my favorite episodes are the ones that go seriously fictional and often literary. Like I loved that episode you did about what makes a good book to movie adaptation mm. and what makes it terrible. I thought that was a really interesting conversation. Favorite fictional duos, fictional families we love to hate. What are some of the other ones you've done? You, well, you know, we did uh... – I, I liked one we did, I guess, at the end of January, and it was about dystopia. And, uh, you know, th there was a dystopic feel at that point, maybe um, current events wise. But that like that was something swirling. And I like that we were able to talk about it 
you know, in a very like, okay, here's the, here's the genre. And then we also, what we try to do is like kind of be a little bit factual and serious and info based. And then we also try to entertain and kind of be stupid. Um, so we talked about like the best people we like to hang out with in a dystopia, like from the hunger games or, or wherever. So I, I think those are kind of fun conversations to see both sides of the coin. Oh my gosh. And I was dying when right about the same time that episode came out, your first prediction for 2017 pop culture prediction <laughs> came true, came true in a big way. Oh yeah. Look, you throw enough stuff at a wall, something's going to stick eventually, <laughs> right? <laughs> so everybody knew that Beyonce was going to be pregnant with twins. Is that what you're saying? Except you all didn't predict twins. We yeah, I said just straight up pregnant. Um, it, it turned out to twin. Like who would have thought, right? Who would have thought in a million years it was going to be twins? But hey, like good for them. If you could have any current author who makes pop culture news on your podcast, who would it be? I think okay, Station Eleven. Emily is it Emily St. John Mandel? That's it. I always get her name wrong. I would say probably the author of one of my favorite books. Um, is Emily St. John Mandel. And she, I think she does some freelance writing that I've read that I've really enjoyed. Yeah, she but, wrote that great piece that was right up your all's out. You all probably shared it about... I think we did. I yeah, think we linked to it in a newsletter. But, about the use... You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. About the way crazy frequent use of the word girl in book titles. Yes, that's exactly right. So like, I think a lot of times you, you see a, an author and they're chained to a typewriter and they just create like amazing fiction or nonfiction or whatever. And you don't get to see the perspective of them just like as a regular person. So when I read her um, with that kind of handle on culture, even though like that's obvious that she would have something like that, but to be able to have a great context and perspective, I would love to have a conversation or listen to her on a panel or any kind of way where you can get an author away from their book or their genre and just hear their thoughts on, you know, the culture at large. I think that's super fascinating stuff. Because that's really exactly what that piece was about was a pop culture trend that she mm -hmm. found a little disturbing. <laughs> and it is disturbing. It's everywhere. I like it. Okay, speaking of your favorite books, you ready to get to it? I'm ready. Okay. Knox, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. I love it. I'm Which so excited. I have to say is kind of terrifying because I'm living in fear of being a red light on a future podcast episode. <laughs> it could it couldn't be possible. Listen. I would be in such like heinous company. It would be so sad. <laughs> We like I you should be honest with the listener because I didn't want to come. I wanted to come on later because I was like, I got to read two more books to feel like I'm, I'm <laughs> worthy being on this podcast. So I've really been like packing in the literary stuff. So, no, I'm, I'm excited to, to see what you'll recommend. OK. And has it made your life better in every way? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Absolutely. Good answer. OK, let's start with your favorites. What's the first book you love? So I just mentioned it, but I love Station Eleven and not for it. That's really probably genre based. I just love tell me if it's OK. Like I, f I feel a little just a tinge of shame saying like I love apocalyptic or dystopian fiction. Why like, is that bad? I don't I don't know. And that's the thing. I don't know <laughs> I'm myself, but it does seem like there's a little bit of a I don't know. There, there's something of like. Like it's like saying you like zombie movies, right? Like there's just something um, that depreciates your like intellect a little bit. If you say that's what it feels like to me. I don't know why. I don't know I've like I, why I've uh, weighed myself down with such expectations. That's why I like Station Eleven because it is it fits within that genre, but it's not 
it's not like a classic um, example of it. I feel like, and I th- we've talked about it on our show. I I felt like it was an elegant, a super elegant apocalypse, which was like the best kind of apocalypse <laughs> I kind of have probably. Okay, if it makes you feel better, on the now defunct podcast that we all miss books on the nightstand michael kindness and ann kingman and this has been a long time i remember it was cold out when i listened to this episode so it's been at least one year and maybe two they had this whole episode devoted to the question like what is genre fiction because it's often thought of as less than literary (laughs) fiction and i remember them talking about station 11 as an example of one that didn't fit neatly in boxes because it could be slotted as a genre novel but it was so well written that it's clearly literary fiction but it's sold so well that that makes it popular right but you usually think of like john grisham as being a popular writer so so you have chosen out of the box novel (laughs) now that's i just i love that book i love the way it's written i love the characters i love the way she worked the plot and kind of alternated timelines a little bit. Um, just beautiful. It's hard to read a book and see the movie scene they're talking about, but there are several versions. There are several scenes or chapters in that book where I could so clearly see it that it was unreal. I haven't read any news, but I can yeah, totally I see that happening. Yeah, I haven't either, but it seems like such a no-brainer. I would like to see that happen. Okay, mm-hmm. so you love apocalyptic stories and you're afraid that says something, not just about your taste, but like you should be on a therapist couch somewhere. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Knox, what's book two? Uh, book two. This is one. This is, uh, I read it a while ago, but it's one of the first books I read where I was like, I feel like I was starting to figure out my taste a little bit. I think I was fresh out of high school maybe, but it's The Secret History by Donna Tart. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I, there's something about stories set in the, uh, you know, coming of age kind of setting like teenage or college years or whatever. Um, and I, I just loved the, it, it's, it's about a person coming of age. It's about a fish out of water. There's a little mysterious component. Uh, and it's about kind of establishing what you, what you want, like what you want to be and what you think you should be and how you reconcile those two things. So I loved, um, obviously like I still love Donna Tarr. Like I, when I read that, I didn't know who she was or, or what she was going to become. But you can see really clearly early on how talented she is as a writer and uh, her skills of characterization and, you know, seamlessly merging plot details. So it's, I, I, I really, really love that book. Have you read anything else by her? I have a hard time imagining you picking up The Goldfinch, but I could be totally wrong. The Goldfinch is one of those I picked up and read two pages and was like, not now. But later, I, I will read this, but I'm yeah. not in the headspace to read this right now. Yeah. All right. I see it. Okay. Max, what's book three? Book three is something, and I, I will I will plead proximity because I've just uh, a couple months ago read this and it's still kind of like buzzing in my head a little bit. And that's Before the Fall by No Holly. A green light from the podcast. It okay. Is. Tell us everything. Well, I... The biggest thing I look for in the books I read, like capital letters, number one with a bullet is, is a voice. I like, I live and die by voice. And if you have a voice, like a, a particular voice, I will read whatever story you're telling. I really don't care what it's about. If, but if you have a certain way you're telling it, I will ride or die for that voice. And Noah Hawley, like I loved, obviously he's a, he's a, um, showrunner with FX for Fargo, and he brings that kind of uh, sensibility to a book. It's very um, it's very quick. It's very rapid. It's very cinematic the way he writes. 
and I love the way he uses I I have a problem reading books with too many characters mm-hmm. and too many subplots going on. And he has a way of, of including a lot of people, but making every single character and subplot feel fully realized. So I I love that book and I even liked the ending. And I went on our I went on knoxjamie.com where I write about culture and defended the ending, I think. What did, what did you feel about the ending? Did you like it? Hated it. You <laughs> I didn't because like, I, I, but I see, I totally understand that. I totally understand why you would hate it. I, I, I appreciated what he did, even though it felt like such a departure from the rest of the book. But I, I think I, you know, how like some, maybe it's a, it's a cliche that some women are attracted to bad boys. Like I'm attracted to bad, untidy endings in books. I really like them and I don't know why. Okay. I will say this in Noah Hawley's defense, in defense of the ending, in that it was the, so you kind of hinted why you're okay with it because I don't want to mm-hmm. break it down I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't read mm-hmm. it and we're not about to tell you the ending Mm-mm. just that it I don't know was it what you expected it wasn't what I expected absolutely not what I expected okay cool so we were both surprised even though we right. have very different opinions right we'll leave it there but it was the third book in a row I'd read with a with a resolution that felt very similar even mm. though the specific circumstances were very different like the three novels i read might have ended in different centuries and yet it felt like the ending was pretty much the same and i was like oh not again <laughs> and it's not his fault that he was book three in a run you know <laughs> right right and i still think i mean i'm still glad i read it i still think it was a great book and yeah talk about cinematic i can totally see that yeah i mean he, he he's done both seasons of fargo on fx like that is supremely his sensibility he's doing legion on fx right now so that's that's the perspective he comes in with and even his dialogue like you can see that's not book dialogue that's tv movie dialogue it which really worked i thought because it doesn't always sometimes you're like oh you need some stage directions for this to make sense but i didn't yes. feel that at all with him absolutely absolutely okay cool all right Knox. i think we've both been waiting to get to this moment <laughs> What's a book that disappointed you? I disappointed is is a word. Like I it I don't know if there's an enraged category, but this <laughs> this book would be that book. And it's Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. It made me I don't know if the book made me so mad or if the unabashed love that everyone seems to have for it makes me mad. I don't know what that says about me, but I just really did not like this book. You gotta tell us more about the why. Not not about your powerful emotions, but about why this book evoked them. I I'm a big fan of stakes. I'm a big fan of motivation, and I'm a big fan of showing me, not telling me. Okay, and this book, I th- the context is amazing. Um, the setting's amazing. I think the characters are really cool, and I loved like I really identified them. I think it really skated way too much on nostalgia, and I think that's why people love it maybe so blindly is like, they're like, I also like thinking about things from the past, uh, in a, in a sentimental way. But the really, the biggest issue is I never felt like Wade Watts had like a dark night of the soul moment where everything got leveled for him. It always just felt like he had, uh, an easy plan he could switch to and figure everything out. And he would be like, Oh yeah, by the way, I just figured out how to, um, outsmart the supervillain and make all my plans come into perfect realization and everything was fine. Like it, that just, it really bothered me that they told me how smart he was without really showing me, um, and not explicitly stating so. 
So I really liked Ready Player One, which surprised mm. me because I felt like I was not the target audience. Mm -hmm. But the more I hear about this book, wait, hold on. I have a theory in progress, but first I need some important information that mm -hmm. will go into my theory. Where in the Ready Player One popularity cycle did you read it? Did you read it early or did you read it after you'd already heard a lot about it or somewhere in the middle? You know, I knew a little bit about it. I think I read it, I want to say maybe end of summer last year or the fall of last year. Okay. So you had expectations when you went in? A little bit. I didn't have like, this is the greatest book ever expectations, but I did certainly know that like a lot of people really like this book. Okay. So here's my theory in progress and you can tell me what you think. I listened to this podcast on somebody's recommendation. It's called I Don't Even Own a Television, which they say is a podcast about terrible books. And they have an episode devoted to Ready Player One. And I was like, wow, really? So I listened to it and they basically said the nostalgia is so syrupy, sticky, sticky sweet that we wanted to die. Like it was awful. And if you just want like your big nostalgia kick there are other ways to get it. You don't need to wrap a plot around it. And I'm way summarizing. And it's been a while since I've listened to the episode. But all of a sudden I went, oh, wait, I'm not into 80s nostalgia. I had never seen the movies they talked about. I'm sure tons of the references went straight over my head. And maybe that's why I enjoyed it. I think that's oh, a real maybe. possibility. Maybe. See, I know that's why I didn't like it because I'm I have a huge aversion uh, to nostalgia. Like uh, Jamie uh, on the podcast loves the Goldbergs and I hate the Goldbergs. Because it's just about the nostalgia of like the 80s, right? So I, I, I feel like it's a little bit lazy when you're using it as like a plot point or construct. But I will fully admit that like I have my own nostalgia that I'm fine with. So I'm super <laughs> hypocritical in that way. <laughs> so that podcast, they said that they hated it. They were also – they might have been gamers or at least they knew a lot more about it than I did. Where oh. It was totally something new and novel to me. But – they said that the book was like one enormous, obnoxious, wink, wink, nod, nod with references just like packed to the gills. And it was it was more than they could take. That's very true. I can see it's very fan servicey for for 80s kids. And I think that's a lot of it. But like I just I like the idea of a main character going through stuff and not always being on top of the ball. You know, like I want to see them take a tumble and then see how they, you know, rise from the ashes or whatever. Okay, I like it. What are you reading right now, Knox? I am reading right now a book called Razor Girl by Carl Hyacin, I think is how you say it. Are you like do you are you familiar with this book at all? I can picture the cover, but I don't know why. I don't know why it's in my head. Tell tell us. This book is um I'm I'm probably maybe a quarter or a third of the way through. It is it's one of those where like the voice is absolute perfection and i i felt like this was written by like a 23 year old prodigy and i looked the guy up and he's an old dude like he's been writing since like the 70s which just thunderstruck me but it's about uh it takes multiple plot lines it's about kind of a con artist girl uh a guy who uh manages a duck dynasty type persona and their worlds kind of collide and all of it is set in florida which as we know all great things from the Lord occur in Florida. <laughs> so hijinks ensue in a very Floridian way. But man, I'm loving this book right now. Awesome. How'd you find it? I think it was one of those, you know, books you need to read this spring or this winter uh -huh. and saw it. And I thought, okay, I've read the plot summary, kind of like the idea and uh, ordered it and never looked back. I like it. Anything you want to be different in your reading life or anything you want more of? 
I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I would classify myself as a mystery genre, genre kind of reader, but I think I really am finding out about myself that I love books with a mysterious bent to them. And that could be like in the central point of the book. Like I just read the nest, like I just finished the nest and I don't think that's a mysterious book, but there was a, the, all along the way I was like, how is, how are they going to wrap this up? Like, how are they going to get to the point where I know they need to get, but I have no idea how to get there. So I, any book that always has me guessing until the last couple of pages, I want to read more books like that. Okay. I like the sound of that. Well, I have ideas for you, but I'm going to need to think about them really, really hard, really quickly because red lights. <laughs> okay. I'm going to try to find some green lights for you right after the break. Knox, welcome back. Glad to be back. Okay. I have a short and sweet list for you and I'm going to hope something sticks. Oh, I'm so excited. It's like making pop culture predictions, except I only have three <laughs> darts to throw at the wall. Listen, you probably can't miss with me. I like m me and your mom or me and my mom. We're like the biggest fans of recommendations. So um, when you speak, it's like the white smoke at the Vatican. Uh, I got to meet your mom in Birmingham at the oh, podcast that's right, live that's events. Right. I loved meeting your mom. Like my mom's been really, you know, excited about my podcast and everything. But when I told her I was coming on, it was like next level. It was like, what? <laughs> what? What are you doing? When? At the next live event, I'll take that up with her. <laughs> no, okay. I can't be in Dallas, but I wish I could. And at the next live event after that, I will take that up with your there mom. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Okay. I have a really weird one for you and I want to get it out of the way because mm. I am not at all sure what you are going to think about this, but I think uh. if you gave it a chance, you might really enjoy it because it is the coming together of serious literary fiction and contemporary celebrities. Oh, I love that. Okay. So to a select group of people in the literary world, they have been all abuzz for a long time over the first novel by previous short story and essay author, George Saunders. He won the National Book Award. His most recent book was 10th of December, and he decided he wanted to write a novel about Abraham Lincoln. Do you know anything about this? I don't know anything about this. Okay. It gets weirder. So it's called Lincoln in the Bardo, and it came out on Valentine's Day, oddly enough. And we have Abraham Lincoln, and the bardo comes from Tibetan Buddhism. It's this middle in-between spiritual landscape where we have to go between physical lives. So in this novel, if you know anything about Lincoln, like I read that Doris Kearns Goodwin biography, A Team of Rivals of Him, it kind mm. of rocked my world finding out how little I knew. But, but I remember this episode that George Saunders is riffing from that novel because she goes into serious detail. When in 1862, Lincoln's 11 year old son, Willie, who re he referred to as like a golden child, I might be botching the term, but you get the idea. Mm -hmm. um, just dearly beloved son, not in the sense that like all sons aren't beloved, but just really sweet, gentle, like luminous kid that everybody loved. And he died of typhoid. And Lincoln was in serious, deep despair, so deep that he was a completely different person during a very intense period of mourning, which was also happened at the height of the civil war when the man and the country were already under great stress. So in this novel, 
Willie Dice, and he goes to the Bardo, and he encounters all these characters. And I got to say, I read this on Kindle, and that was not a good idea. You want <laughs> you want because you can't you can't tell what's going on. Like they are talking about when you first encounter people's names who are speaking in the Bardo. I'm like, wait, are these font directions? Because this is making no <laughs> sense to me. Do not read this book in Kindle. So he sends him to the the bardo and lincoln comes in after him and it's this everybody in the bardo is surprised like what is this man doing and what saunders does is well first of all he has this like weird weird situation that he's brought to the page but also he he toys with the idea toys is too light a word he really explores the idea that lincoln's grief changed the way that he viewed what needed to happen in the war to get everybody out of that, out of that situation. It's really, it's so strange, but it's so interesting. Like he just puts to, he juxtaposes things that you think that those don't go together, but it's really, see that's, but that's, that's where I live. That's my favorite kind of movie story book where like you, and, and even the, the fact that you take something that actually did happen and just color it a different way or explored a different way, I'm endlessly fascinated with stuff like that. I was trying to decide as I read it on Kindle if I thought it was ambitious and didn't quite work or if I thought it was really good. I definitely knew as I was reading it, like, wow, I need some time with this to let it sink in. <laughs> but then I found out that the audio version has a full cast of characters drawn from like professional actors narrating it and I thought oh my goodness that would be perfect I don't know who does Lincoln but I'm imagining like Willie coming into the Bardo and Lincoln coming in after him and there's all the whispers of the people there talking about like who are these guys what is going on so okay with that in mind here's your narration so the author does a little bit and I wish I knew which part he is Nick Offerman who's like a big dude in audiobook narrating David Sedaris what Carrie Brownstein Miranda July, Lena Dunham. I mean, oh my! You want to listen to that, right? I want to watch that movie. Forget, like, I'll listen to them do anything. Nick Offerman? Are you kidding me? So it's short. It's only seven and a half hours, which I think sounds perfect. And I don't know if mm -hmm. you listen to audiobooks. Do you? I do a little bit. I don't that much though, and I need it. I think part of it is like I prefer a little bit of a production quality, uh -huh. which which sounds like this is it. Like it's not just a straight author reading it for twenty hours. Well, I'm glad this wouldn't be your first one, but I'm thinking for you, if anything was going to push you over the edge, this is it. Oh, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm going to do the audio. I think that's what I'm going to do instead of the physical book. Oh man, that's really exciting. Okay, so here are some other authors we have: Ben Stiller, Susan Sarandon, Brad Whitford, Megan Mullally, Rain Wilson, Jeff Tweedy, Jeff Tambor. I mean, oh Don Cheadle, come on, Mary Carr, characters? Mary they're, Carr. They're... I didn't oh, know my... she did that. Oh my gosh. They're That's all incredible. Voices. Yeah. That is incredible. Book one. <laughs> I don't I don't know if you can beat that one. Like it's gonna be hard <laughs> to follow that. You might just want to stop there. See, I wanted to get my weird one out of the way because <laughs> I wasn't sure how if I would scare you with its weirdness. <laughs> Listen, that's never a phrase I'll ever utter in my life. <laughs> okay. Well here's underwhelming book two. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. What do you know about Chris Bavone? 
Literally nothing. Okay, awesome. Um, his first book was The Expats. And I heard Books on the Nightstand again. I heard a recording that he did for a Books on the Nightstand event where he talked about how his first novel was inspired by living in Luxembourg when his wife was sent to work there for Amazon.com and he was pretty much along for the ride, raising twins. And I think he tells the story about how he wrote some novel that involved him changing poopy diapers and his... <laughs> editor i might be totally watching the story we will link to the actual story in show notes i remember him saying how his editor was like ah yeah for this to work you need more guns and less diapers <laughs> less poopy diapers more guns that's exactly. a life philosophy exactly okay so his first book is the expats but for you i like his second book the accident there are one or two characters that are the same but they are not that's just like a fun little wink can i still say wink after our ready player one conversation <laughs> that's a that's a fun little hey welcome back if you already read his first book they are not remotely like interdependent on each other for understanding okay so i like the accident because like razor girl there's a big car wreck that kind of sets the plot in motion and there's a manuscript and a mystery and a whole bunch of cia operatives chasing each other well here let's back up okay in new york city i think the whole novel in unfolds over the course of like a day or a week or a very compressed timeline. But I read this when it first came out in January 2015. So memory doesn't exactly serve, but that's okay because you just need to know the premise. There's a literary agent and she has somehow gotten this anonymous manuscript on her desk. She doesn't know who delivered it or where it came from or who wrote it, but she does know that it tells um, long buried, closely held, highly explosive secrets about a whole bunch of really powerful people. And it also makes some references to a few things from her own past that she didn't think anybody who would be writing anonymous manuscripts knew about. So what happens is the story starts getting out and the people who touch it end up getting killed quickly uh -oh. and violently and she's like holy goodness what is happening <laughs> so it does unfold over the course of one long day and it keeps getting like they keep ratcheting up the tension and the danger and by the end of the day we're like going around the world trying to shut this thing down and the person who's being unmasked is if i remember correctly the media mogul of like a major news network i uh, gotcha how's gotcha. that sound yeah, no, I, I like any kind of compressed timeline. I I really like. I don't like when it's eight over the course of eight years and you never really know when like you're you're lapsing time. So when you're like this is taking place over three days, I'm all in. Okay, this sounds kind of lame, but what else <laughs> for book three? Have you read anything else by Noah Hawley? I have not. I because I I went straight from watching his TV shows to uh, reading his book. I honestly I didn't know he'd written anything else. Okay, so the book I think you might enjoy. It's called The Good Father. It's a previous book by Noah Hawley. This one was first published in 2012. Here's what happens. Bare bones of the plot. We have a very important, successful medical doctor. He's at uh, Columbia in New York, and. In the opening scene, he's sitting home with his family, eating dinner, watching TV, and the news is on. And what they see is that the Democratic candidate for president has been shot at a rally. And on video, his son appears to be the assassin. And he oh. is like, what? Like, no, 
there is no way what could possibly have happened. He's been framed. He's been set up. Something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. But what? And it goes from there. Oh, that's like, listen, that's, uh, I, I remember reading the road and like, oh, you that know, was on my list. I'm glad you read it. Okay. See, I, I have a son, obviously he's eight and any kind of father son dynamic. I have a great relationship with my dad. Like that's a big part of you know who I am. Any that's like, that's such easy space for me to get into and like really give myself over to is father son relationships. So especially set in that context where there's some kind of mysterious circumstances, that sounds really, really good. I don't want to say too much, <laughs> but I will say the good upstanding medical doctor goes on this whole big journey to find out if his son was really the person he thought he was. Oh, I love it. I love it. And it's an interesting ride. I'm surprised this hasn't been made into like a movie or something. Right. Especially when like the man would know people who could get it done. Seriously. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, maybe it's next because I, maybe this is just my impression, but I think before the fall was kind of a surprise how well it sold. Really? It, you know, it had, I, I know, I think, I don't know if it was in between seasons, but it, I think you can certainly feel the rushedness of that book in between his like film. Cause he, he famously, uh, is a prodigious worker. Um, so I, I think you could, I, I don't think they anticipated that, but he certainly, he was a famous person when he wrote it, you know, so they couldn't have been that surprised. Right. <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> okay. Knox of those three picks, what do you think you'll read next? Uh, you know, I was, I didn't think there'd be any, uh, competition for Lincoln and the Bardo, but this good father, I think I'm going to go the good father and then clear out some space in my life and in my soul and then do uh, Lincoln and the Bardo after that. I like the sound of it. Can't wait to hear <laughs> what you think. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I will report back and, uh, hopefully I can have three like green lights just booked in advance on the podcast. I don't even want to think about it. That just makes me nervous. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. This has been fun. Thanks for coming to the front of the house today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Knox today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Knox and to let him know what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 71. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Make sure to subscribe to Knox's show, The Popcast, on iTunes and say hi to him on Twitter at Knox McCoy. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. To be the first to hear about upcoming guests and more fun behind the scenes, what should I read next news? Like that live event we're having, make sure you're getting our newsletter. Sign up at what should I read next slash newsletter. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. <laughs>